Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate and review the podcast, follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenziebrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. Got a great show today, PGF Nation. A well-known offensive coordinator gets fired. We'll discuss some of the big games that happened week 11 in the NFL. Preview the Thanksgiving Day games. The college football playoff teams are taking shape after a big upset in college football. We'll give out this week's NFL game balls and college football helmet stickers. NFL power rankings with a twist this week. And we'll end the show with our pick six segment where we'll pick our six best bets of the week ahead. Excited to be joined by radio and podcast legend, my co-host Tyrone Powell. What is up, Ty? Nothing much, man. Watching this month of November come to a close, and some teams are falling off the wagon. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it's crazy, Ty. Late November, the injuries are piling up for a lot of teams across the league. This is why the draft and the depth that you add to your team is so important. We talk about the stars a lot and rightfully so, but you've got to be built to play without them because you know, by this time of the year, you're going to be missing guys. You're going to be missing key guys. But I wanted to touch on this recent firing. We talked about it quickly there in the intro news just broke recently that Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator for the giants, the former Cowboys head coach just got fired after an embarrassing loss on Monday night football to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He coached 26 games in New York. The team is near the bottom in points per game rushing yards per game, and they only average 230 passing yards per game. What is your initial thoughts here, Ty, on Jason Garrett being fired? I think it's more than just Jason Garrett, but somebody's head has to roll. The crazy part about this is the way that that production has lasted for the past couple of games. It really hasn't shown true to what the Giants can do. The only way they could score a touchdown was to an offensive tackle extending as a tight end and had to get a touchdown score. With the talent of them having... Kenny Galladay, having Saquon Barkley and others out there, they should be able to produce more. The way that the Giants came out, they came out pretty crisp. They made it an interesting game, and they were stuck at 10 until the end of the game. They didn't score again. So it's like, what's going on with Sterling Shepard? What's going on with Evan Ingram? Like, there's so many pieces to this offense that could be productive, and they're just not. And it seems like every offensive coordinator that gets in front of this offense, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. They continue to force feed Saquon like he just didn't get back off an injury. This is a tough scenario for them to go with their so-called face of the organization who continually ends up injured just because they want to force him the ball. Somebody's had the head had the role at the end of the day, but unfortunately, it was Garrett's. 
Yeah, and I think it's probably the right move. I know it's a move that Joe Judge probably made to save his own job. Let's be honest. He can feel that seat starting to heat up, but the offense has been bad, and that's really the bottom line here when you look at this team. They're one of the lowest touchdown converting teams in the NFL. They just haven't been able to get it done, and you're right. They've got some pieces there. Now, Saquon Barkley continues to be in and out of the lineup with injuries. I think that's stunted some of the development from this offense. They've got wide receivers a lot of those guys are in and out of the lineup with injuries as well I think the biggest issue Ty is the offensive line this offensive line is brutal and it's been bad for a couple years in a row now and I think some of this blame needs to be shifted towards Dave Gettleman I know everyone wants to talk about how Daniel Jones sucks and this guy's a bust and this and that maybe he is and he had some ugly plays on Monday Night Football don't get me wrong he had a, a couple turnovers and a couple throws that were terrible but it seems like he always drops back with pressure in his face. He hardly ever has time in the pocket and get those reads and go through his progressions. I think something needs to be said here about Dave Gettleman and the lack of their ability to draft and develop an offensive line to protect this young quarterback into open holes for the running game. I just wonder how they move forward from here. I mean, Garrett's gone and they, they got Freddie Kitchens calling plays, but it's like Kitchens didn't have a great successful time while he was in Cleveland. And they gave him one game, which he won this year up against the Saints. It's like, what type of turnaround do they see in this Giants team? So I wonder where they go from here. How much time does Judge have left here? I say probably like a year or two. Uh, the Gettleman situation has gone on far too long. I feel like if the Giants win another game or two, Gettleman's safe again because for some obvious reason, they won't get rid of Gettleman. They, they, they love to keep him there and watch him just be below par, if you will. So the Giants have their, their work cut out for him at the end of the day unfortunate situation that they watched Garrett leave. I'm not going to lie. I think Garrett will end up getting a job somewhere else. I don't think he'll be out of a job long. It's just the situation of him with the, the Giants. It isn't that dynamic at this point in time. Yeah, I think you're right, Ty. I, I think you're right about that. I think he will probably get a job somewhere. He's got a ton of coaching experience, a ton of NFL experience, and he's a guy that I think in the league he's still pretty respected, even if the media and fans don't respect him that much. I do think within the NFL, I think someone is going to give him a look. But I want to shift here, Ty, because this week 11 in the NFL was crazy. This this season has been crazy. There's been 23 games decided by a winning score in the final play, which is the most ever through week 11 since the merger in 1966. The parity in this league is real and it's on full display this year. This is why the NFL is king. But uh, a lot of teams have been injured and we're in the, the era of COVID too. So some of these teams have been going to war without their stars due to just the nature of the beast that we ha all have to deal with. So it's an unfortunate situation, but it's good for fans to see quality football at the end of the day. I can't really be mad at the parody, but again, it's like, how would we see this if they were at full strength? Yeah, you're right about that, Ty. And four first place teams lost on Sunday. I want to touch on some of these games here, Ty. One big game that most people were catching, probably the marquee matchup of the Sunday slate, was the Kansas City Chiefs and the Dallas Cowboys. The Chiefs take care of business, winning 19-9. to Ty, was this more about the Chiefs' win or the Cowboys' loss? Uh, more about the Cowboys' loss. I really feel like the Chiefs are going to gain their stride. I also feel like if the Cowboys would have scored more points, I think it would have threatened the Chiefs to score more. And you just don't want to see that engine get revved up at all. It's kind of like you want to see that car stay idle because if that Lamborghini comes out of the parking lot, everybody just back up. So 
the crazy part about it is watching Dak struggle for the past two or three games. Uh, he hasn't looked great. Uh, the game against Denver, he didn't look good. This game against Kansas City, they had all field goals, especially with the talent that they have across the board. He also got CD knocked out of the game. It's unfortunate that he caught a concussion. Uh, they were also dealing with um, Amari being out too. So they have their issues, uh, dealing with COVID, things of that nature. They're not really getting a strong presence. And also Zeke is battling an injury too. Uh, he's been limping through the past two or three games too. So there's a lot to look at with this Cowboys team. Again, I still feel like they're a threat to the postseason. I feel like they should be able to win the NFC East. I just want to see what it looks like when they mix it up against the stronger teams when the month of January comes around and them not fall short. Because if they fall short again, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Of course, you know Jerry Jones will be the first one to step up. But how long of a leash does uh, Mike McCarthy have? Where do they start going if they do fall short with the productivity that they've had on the defensive side of the ball, let alone their offense is the one that couldn't put up points in Kansas City? I think you're right, Ty. And I think the injuries are a legit concern for Dallas right now. They're banged up on the offensive line. You touched on it. They lose C.D. Lamb in this game to a concussion. Amari Cooper was out. And it really showed because you're right, Dak, coming off of the injury, these last couple of weeks, he hasn't looked quite as good. But to be fair to him, like you said, he's got some key guys out. That's why depth is so important because Tyron Smith, the left tackle, one of the best left tackles in the game, was out. They really have not been able to fill that hole. And Dak just doesn't look as comfortable back there when Tyron Smith is not in the game. I want to shift here to the Kansas City Chiefs, though. And I'm wondering, Ty, are the Kansas City Chiefs fool's gold? And I say that because of what they've been the past three seasons, all the success, they're barely beating a lot of these teams recently that are really beat up. They blow out the Raiders, but let's face it, the wheels have come off for the Raiders, unfortunately, with all the off the field stuff they've had to deal with. They win versus Green Bay 13 to 7, but without Aaron Rodgers. They beat the Giants 20 to 17 versus a Giants team that we know hasn't been very good, only has three wins, and they were dealing with a lot of injuries as well. And then a 19-9 win versus this Cowboys team that we just talked about was really beat up as well. What do you make of the Chiefs at this point? Are, are we buying into them a little too much? Are they are they back? Or what do you make of this team? I don't know who would ever downplay Kansas City. Whoever's downplaying them, I question everything that people are throwing out there. This team fought back while they struggled all to get out of the blocks to be at the top of the AFC West again. And I feel like they got to protect this right now where I think it's more or less a situation. The only team that can stop them is the Chargers. The Raiders have blown that things up and uh, Denver's giving up. They're giving away pieces and Bridgewater's not really fully invested to me. That situation against Philly where he could have tackled Slay and just basically let that go back to the house. It's like the whole orchestra is done in Denver. So right now I feel like Kansas City is back in the driver's seat. I don't know who can undersell Andy Reid. Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds in football. This guy's been to the past two Super Bowls, and if they're struggling, this is a problem. Do you know that people that lose the Super Bowl don't usually make it back to the playoffs? And he's a threat to get there, too. So this is a tough scenario to now play what Kansas City does. They have new pieces coming in and out of the offense. Tyron Matthew, a.k.a. Honey Badger, was supposed to be out. He actually played, and that defense actually stepped up and played well, too. So... For their defense to make these strides, this offense to still have the fastest receiver that I think is dynamic. Of course, there's fast receivers in the game, but as dynamic as Tyreek is, anytime he moves, you watch the whole defense shift. And underneath all of that madness is Travis Kelsey. They just got Clyde to layer back. It's, it's a lot that people have to deal with dealing with Kansas City. There's no way that I could say that we're fools golding this situation in Missouri. 
Yeah, I think I'm with you, Ty. This team still feels really dangerous. I have some questions about the Kansas City offense. It just doesn't look like it has in years past. But maybe I should be more impressed with the Cowboys' defense, who only gave up 19 points when their offense didn't score a touchdown and Dak had two interceptions. That could have really put them in a bad spot. But they held this Kansas City Chiefs team under 20. I think it's pretty impressive what they did in this game. But maybe I should be impressed with the Chiefs' defense. Because you talked about him here. That's been bailing out this offense these last several weeks. An offense that, like we touched on, outside of that Raiders game, hasn't really been that explosive. This Kansas City Chiefs defense quietly has been really good these last four games, only giving up 17 points or less. What happens if the defense gets better? <laughs> and then it goes alongside with this offense. The offense that has, like I said, number 10 and number 15. Patrick Mahomes can make every throw in the book, and he's thrown a whole bunch of picks to start the season off, but he's somehow, some way in games to win them, whether people like it or not. And again, like I said, they're at the front of the line, and the AFC West could potentially threaten to get that first round by to get some of these pieces back. They also add some weapons to this team, too, so it's, it's very dangerous for Kansas City. Still can give you anywhere from 27 to 34 points a game, and that's just tough to compete with. No, you're right about that, Ty. And I think they're still the favorite in the AFC West. The Chargers are playing some good football. They had a big win Sunday night to keep themselves in the race after a couple weeks where they were kind of hit or miss. But you're definitely right. This Chiefs team is dangerous. And even though they don't look like the Chiefs we've seen the last couple of years, they're getting wins. And that's what it's all about. But a team that got a really unexpected win, I think that shocked a lot of people, was the Houston Texans beating the Tennessee Titans 22-13. to This season, Ty, as soon as you start believing in a team, something happens and you start questioning how good they are. What in the heck happened to the Titans in this game, Ty? I really can't explain it. I mean, they did everything they could defensively. Mike Vrabel is a good defensive mind, being a linebacker from one of the best empires or dynasties that we've seen in football. The only thing I could really hang my hat on is Derrick Henry not being there to help get them out of these situations. And I knew that this would happen. Uh, Ryan Tannehill would be based on uh, trying to get them out of pr trouble, and he just can't. Through four interceptions, That that's going to hurt any team. And for this to be a situation where – Tyrod Taylor has 107 yards passing. He had the lone two touchdowns scored running, and he had under like 40 yards rushing. Everything else was minimal for the Titans. I don't know how the Titans lose off the stats across the board for what the Texans produced. They need to get Derrick Henry back as best as possible. I don't want to say as soon as possible because as we know of right now, Adrian Peterson has actually been released as well. So they really don't have that strong backfield also. So this is tough for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, you called it, Ty, and I was 100% with you. We expected Ryan Tannehill to come back down to earth. I'm surprised he played as well as he did these last couple of weeks. I expected this type of performance sooner than it happened, but this is exactly what I was waiting for. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop with Ryan Tannehill. He was awful, and when he doesn't have that MVP, running back in the backfield setting up the play action setting up those easy throws downfield and when the pressure is on him to deliver and to carry this offense he dropped the ball you hit on it Ty four picks those were back-breaking picks on 52 passing attempts Ryan Tannehill should never be throwing the ball 50 times. That is not what this guy's built for. That's not how this offense was built. I took the Texans plus 10 and a half in the pick six last week. They've been more competitive 
than their record. But this is a really bad loss. Make no mistake about it. Julio Jones has been a disappointment. Now, he's been dealing with some injuries, but he's not what they hoped for when they signed him. And now A.J. Brown is dinged up as well. We know Derrick Henry is out, like we touched on. The Titans put themselves in position where they could have been the number one seed in the AFC, get a bye, and maybe get Derrick Henry back. But now they're in danger of losing that top spot with a huge matchup at New England, who's only one game back now. This is going to get really interesting, Ty, these next couple weeks if you're a Titans fan. Again, I feel like they'll get some fortunate games that they can start to turn this thing around. But it's tough right now losing these games to not only the Texans, they also lost to the Jets, like two teams that they have to beat. Not even saying they should or they have to beat these teams to be a quality team, supposed to be at the top of the AFC altogether. And losing to two teams that, that shouldn't even be in a discussion with you guys is very head-shaking worthy. And uh, I, I wonder how they bounce back from it, especially while Derek is not able to come help them. And Vrabel having to go back to the drawing board. I put a lot of this pressure back in front of Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, the pressure's on him, and they're going to have to find a running game. We know it's not going to be the equivalent of Derrick Henry, but they're going to have to be able to establish a run and get some kind of running game going to help Tannehill out because they cannot be throwing the ball around like they have been or like they did in this game. It's a recipe for disaster, a team that had a major disaster as well, Ty, after being a pretty big favorite in this one, the Buffalo Bills get absolutely blasted by the Indianapolis Colts. I'm starting to lose trust in this Bills team, Ty. I just talked about the Titans. I'm starting to lose trust in that team as well in the AFC. The AFC is starting to feel really wide open here, but these are two teams that were sitting up near the top, and I'm not sure how good they are anymore. Uh, the Buffalo Bills situation is troubling for them to lose this game this past week in the fashion that they did. They can't stop the run from what it looks like. Jonathan Taylor is a beast in his own right. I don't want to take anything away from him, but for him to have five touchdowns scored up against a Buffalo Bills team that made it to an AFC championship team last year, I, I really don't know how much I can hang my hat on them right now with them losing quality game after quality game for them to gain ground, and they just let the Patriots catch them to get first place in the AFC East. They had a comfortable lead and got caught by William Belichick and the evil empire that resides in Foxborough, Massachusetts. There's a lot of hype hung around Josh Allen. Josh Allen has to not keep force-feeding the ball to dig as much as he tries. I'm not buying that. Everybody should be able to get the ball. Everybody loves a big arm at the end of the day. Enough of the big arm. It's about the IQ. If you're smart enough to win these games, you're losing games that they're unacceptable. Losing to a Jaguars team, losing to a Colts team, and giving up five touchdowns to a Jonathan Taylor, knowing the game plan that he's one of the dynamic weapons and you guys couldn't stop him, the Bills, are, are, that's the fool's gold you need to be concerned about. Not Kansas City, the Buffalo Bills. Woo, hot take, Ty. I love it, man. I think you're right because I'm starting to sell some of my Bills stock here. I have some serious questions about them. The Buffalo Bills, they struggle versus teams that are physical in the trenches, and we're starting to see a pattern of that now. The Colts, the Titans, and the Steelers earlier in the season – those are teams that line up, play physical football, and they punch the Bills in the mouth. This Bills team is built to beat teams like the Chiefs. The problem is that New England built a bully in their own division. They play them twice in December when it's cold in the Northeast, and running the ball matters. And this Bills team cannot run the ball. The Patriots can. They've got no balance from this Bills offense. We've talked about that in the last few weeks. The Colts showed again how to beat this team, 
and it's with a physical running attack and hitting them right in the mouth. If they can't stop people now, they will not get back to a championship game. People have them pegged to try to get to a Super Bowl. I don't see it. Ty, I think I'm with you here. I was pretty high on this team earlier in the year. They looked really good a few weeks ago. You alluded to it, and I just touched on it. This Patriots team is now back on top in the AFC East. The Bills have now lost three of their last five. It gets scary if you're a Bills fan because look at the potential playoff teams that are a bad matchup for the Bills. The Ravens, the Titans, the Patriots, the Colts, and even the Browns and Steelers, if they can get in as wildcard teams, these are teams that can shorten the game. They can keep Josh Allen on the sideline and control the line of scrimmage. And that's got to be scary for this Bills team right now. They're built to beat teams like Kansas City, the L.A. Chargers. But these physical running teams, these physical line of scrimmage teams, they're having their way with this Bills team. And I really like New England in these in these two matchups coming up. I think that this is going to shift. I think New England, like I predicted at the beginning of the season, I think they're going to win this division. Uh, I still feel like the Bills have the edge to win that game. This is the crazy part about the Buffalo Bills. If you really think that you're going to win these games with Zach Moss and Singletary being the running backs that are not productive to help your passing game, there's a large question mark in front of that. I don't know what Buffalo's trying to do. Is it really on the arm of Josh Allen to win this? Are you really trying to make him the MVP? You guys have to structure a better situation for a team that's been struggling. For them to fall flat on their face for the past couple of games, it's very interesting to see what Buffalo's up to. Speaking of struggling, there's a quarterback in the league who's kind of become the punching bag for me on this show. I wasn't going to bring him up, but he got himself back in the news again, and I felt like I had to address it, Ty, and that's Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. I'm really not trying to beat this guy up every week, but when he does things like he did this weekend, it's hard to ignore, and I wanted to touch on it. Browns writer Mary Kay Cabot is reporting that Baker Mayfield and head coach Kevin Stefanski don't see eye to eye. And versus the Lions, he walked off the field and wouldn't talk to the media, which is a requirement for NFL players after the game. And the Browns fans are starting to turn on him, Ty. It's getting ugly in Cleveland. He was booed at home while putting up another bad performance, going 15 for 29 for only 176 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. Yes, he's playing through injuries. I, I totally understand that. And I actually give him credit for that. But it's clearer and clearer to me that he's just not a franchise quarterback. He didn't shake hands with any of the Lions players after the game. Very classless by him. He didn't talk to the media, like I said. He's fighting with his coach. Just on and off the field, he doesn't check enough boxes for me, Ty. Uh, the bad part about Baker is his IQ. The two picks that he threw in the game against the Lions were directly to Lions players. It wasn't like something the ball got tipped or things of that nature. It's just him and his miscues. I don't see him as the quarterback of the future of this team unless he puts a string of wins together, has them in a playoff spot, and threaten to get past the second round. Right now, with the way that this team is constructed, it's basically all defense in their running game. Baker is not a factor at the end of the day. They almost lost that game. They're lucky that that game didn't go another way to get tied up and force overtime or the Lions force a win. I just don't like this unsportsmanlike candy situation and him not addressing the media because he's frustrated. But guess who is addressing the media? Baker's wife, Mrs. Mayfield, and saying that he doesn't trust the teammates. Why would you start turmoil like this while you guys are still relevant in the AFC North? Sometimes you have to tell her to just relax. Tell her to just fall back and be herself, but do not speak on behalf of this team. 
because that entire locker room could turn on Baker in an instance. Manti, you are spot on with that take. You could not be more right. And look, I understand a wife wanting to stand up for her man, but you've got to keep it off Twitter. You've got to realize that your voice is loud when you're the wife of a starting quarterback in the NFL and you can't make those kind of decisions and you're 100% right. He's got to tell her, look, you're making things worse. You're throwing gas on the fire. But Baker is certainly not helping himself here. I thought it was just so classless. And this is a team that won. It's not like they lost the game. Now, granted, he didn't play well. He got booed. I get all that. Maybe he's not getting along with the head coach. But you got to push that stuff aside. That's the time when you go to the microphone after the game and you say, hey, I didn't play good, but my teammates had my back. They, those guys played awesome. We scrapped and we got a win. At the end of the day, it's all about the W. That's when you go and do that and you you build up your teammates and you take you take uh, some of that fall from you and put it on the team and how good of a win it was, even a hard-fought win. I just hated it all around, and it just shows me again that there's a maturity issue. There's a leadership issue here with Baker. It's not just the bad throws, which you're right, by the way. He had some horrendous throws in this game. But it's the on and off field stuff with him that I just has me really questioning him. I just don't think this Browns team is going anywhere with him under center. We've talked about it numerous times, and I feel like he's become a punching bag on this show. But when he does things like that, I just had to address it, Ty. I thought you had a great take there as well. I want to put a bow on week 11 here, Ty. We do it each week with the NFL game ball. So who do you who gets your game ball this week, Ty, in the NFL? This was an interesting week in the NFL. I mean, there's been a lot of interesting things that we've seen, but I have to go with Jonathan Taylor, the guy that I said basically ripped the Bills apart. For him to put up as many yards as he did, four or five touchdowns against that Bills defense, I can't say that they're shabby. They're not as strong or stout as they used to be, but to go up there and take care of business and put up five, there's no way I could walk away from it. I love it, Ty, because you know what? You're right. I don't care if you score five touchdowns in a flag football game at the park. That's an impressive day. Doing it against any NFL team, any Sunday, that is an absolute career game. No doubt about it. He shredded them. He had a monster day. I'm sure every single fantasy owner was going crazy after that. I'm going to go with Justin Herbert, the L.A. Charger quarterback, for my NFL game ball for week 11, he became the first player in NFL history to throw for 380 yards and rush for 90 yards in an NFL game. He had three touchdowns. He completed throws to eight different receivers. He was so good. His defense in this game gives up 27 points in the fourth. His special teams were terrible, and he just put his team on his back and carried them to the finish line, getting a big primetime win against the Steelers. This guy plays like he's been in the league for 10 years. So poised, so cool, so calm and collected in the pocket. I absolutely love what I saw from him on Sunday night. But Ty, we talked about it in the intro. We've got some Thanksgiving Day games. I know everyone's going to be watching it, PGF Nation. It's always a blast. So we get this triple header on the holiday. I know I'm going to be watching it and eating turkey. I know you guys will as well. Now, the Turkey Day games, they're a little bit underwhelming. We've got some bad teams this year in a lot of these games, but Hey, that's what betting is for, right? And that's why we're going to preview these games, tell you what we think, and make some picks as well. The first game is the Bears and Lions, the 3-7 and seven Bears taking on the 0-9-1 Lions. What's your initial thoughts on this game? 
Depends on who the Lions start. They're actually saying that they're going to go with Jared Goff this week. Tim Boyle in there. Tim Boyle wasn't productive throwing the ball. David Blau actually looked better throwing the ball even in last season when Matt Stafford went out. The Bears situation there without Justin Fields, he's ruled out with a rib injury. They're going with Andy Dalton, who's not looked strong. I really want to say since the Cincinnati days, this could be anybody's game. This is actually an interesting game because the Bears are not as strong as they can be, especially with Justin Fields being out and the Lions. If if they can't figure this quarterback situation, they really can't just be DeAndre Swift by himself. So this game is actually heightened to me. This is anybody's game. Yeah, it certainly feels like anybody's game, Ty. The line right now at Better Edge is Bears are three and a half point favorites at the time of this recording, and the over-under is 41 and a half. Vegas sees this as being a pretty close matchup, and it looks like a low-scoring matchup as well. Two offenses that are really kind of struggling. The Bears come in on a five-game losing streak. Head coach Matt Nagy, his seat is heating up. There's actually rumors that he could be fired after this game, or some even said maybe before this game. I don't know how much truth there is to that. But the Bears are 3-8 and eight against the spread in its last 11 NFC North games. Detroit is winless, as we know, but they're 6-4 and four against the spread this year. After a slow start, Justin Fields has flashed in recent weeks, but he got banged up in Week 10. And like you said, Andy Dalton is now expected to start this game. The Bears are 11th in yards per game defensively. The Lions are 27th. So those are some key stats to look at here. Now, the Bears are potentially without Hakeem Nix. Allen Robinson and Damian Williams. It's a short week here for both these teams, and that tends to favor the home team. I feel like this is the Lions' Super Bowl, so to speak. They're going to put everything they've got on this game. They know the whole world's going to be watching. They've had a rough season, but they've been in a lot of close games. This is a team that has not given up. They fight hard till the end in every matchup. I feel like this is the game where you've got to take the Lions here plus three and a half, you're getting that extra half point over the field goal mark. And I think there's some value there as well. I expect them to come out and squeak by a division rival here, Ty. Who do you like from a betting standpoint? Uh, Betting standpoint, I still favor the Bears. If they can show me that there's a quarterback that could lead this team, I could believe it. Right now, with the address situation of Jared Goff nursing an oblique, if he can't throw the ball because he's saying that he's in pain, you got to put a quarterback in there. They brought Tim Boyle in here after sustaining an injury in preseason and threw him right into the fire against Cleveland where he had an opportunity to win the game, and they didn't even let him throw the ball. And Blau is the one that could actually throw the ball and actually had success throwing the ball in this game last year against Chicago in Thanksgiving. He had a good day. So I don't know which way this goes, but I, I really favor Chicago until the, the Lions can really prove to me that they could actually play a full game and win and not play after halftime and get screamed on by Dan Campbell talking about biting kneecaps. So you guys have to play first, second, third, and fourth quarter. Enough is enough watching GMs and coaches with their own strategy not work and get scrapped the worst part about it is anthony lynn is there they took away his play calling duties so he's going to end up getting kicked out of there too after having a poor season with the Chargers last year with justin herbert where justin herbert looked good as in his athletic qualities but it didn't look good in the columns i went back and forth on this game and i still am pretty torn on it and a big part of it is the quarterback play if Goff plays, that changes how I feel pretty dramatically. Dalton, we know he's not great, but he's a veteran quarterback. It, it's really hard to say in this one, but 
I like your take there, Ty. Let's shift to the Raiders and Cowboys, the five and five Raiders, the seven and three Cowboys. What's your initial thoughts on this one? Um, Both of these teams need to win. This is the bad part about this. That's what makes this game very interesting to me. The Raiders can't suffer anymore. If they lose again, their season is completely over. You could just book it, even though I feel like you could book it now. But there may be a little glimmer of some hope. Crazy situation about the Cowboys. They go to war without Amari Cooper dealing with COVID. They go to war with CeeDee Lamb where they've actually underthrown him the ball. They could have forced the ball to him a couple of times. And I really don't even want to say force him the ball, but make him a dynamic piece. The one play where he actually caught a concussion, he had the guy beat. It was underthrown. He hits his head on the ground, and the concussion is suffered. This situation with Zeke as well. There's so many issues that swirl around this Cowboys organization year in and year out. They have to win right now. They can't lose too much ground, at least for NFC sake. I won't just say NFC East sake, but just for their seeding and where they are seated with the win-loss situation. I am going to say the Cowboys are the favorite to win this game. I'm going with the Cowboys, but both of these teams need this win badly. If Derek Carr loses this game, and then what? Is he there for another year or two? Like, how long does this go? Uh, he'd be one of the quarterbacks that I look at, like Stafford, where Detroit had to say, you know what? We have to go off the greener pastures and let you go. Do the Raiders end up letting go of Carr if he falls short this season? Wow, Ty, I haven't even really thought about that, but I think that's a great point because he's been a pretty good quarterback. He's been a guy that's maybe been a little underrated nationally, but I think you're right here. He's a guy similar to Stafford who's kind of been stuck in a bad situation in Oakland and now in Vegas where they really haven't been able to build the team around him. They've had some success, but it's been limited. And you're right. I think there might be some questions coming up if this Raiders team really comes off the rails here because they come in losing three straight. You look at the numbers in this game, they're 10th in total offense, so they move the ball pretty well. They're 15th in total defense, which is middle of the road, not terrible. But here's the key for this game for me, Ty. They're 29th in rush defense, and I think that's the key to this matchup here. Dallas is first overall in offense and fifth in the NFL in rushing. We know how good they can be when they run the ball, and I expect a heavy dose of Elliott and Pollard. I know Zeke might be a little banged up, but if you've got to go to Tony Pollard, that's fine. He's still a very capable running back. I think they get it going on the ground in this game and really pound the Raiders. I think it's the difference in the game. I think Dallas rolls at home. I hate lane seven. That's what the number I'm looking at right now at betteredge.com is Dallas is a seven point favorite. The over under is 50 and a half. So they don't see it as being a big time shootout, which I think is telling you that this is going to be a game that might get shortened a little bit by the running game from Dallas and just pounding the rock more than we've seen recently. So I'm going to take Dallas and lay the seven. It sounds like you're on that side too. Yeah, the spread is dangerous. I think they went outright if I was money line in the situation. You know what? I would threaten that and, and go with Dallas. I to win by more than seven just because I don't believe in the Raiders or how they've been orchestrating since with the top five tight ends throughout the season. Where's Darren Waller gone? He's not even in that discussion anymore because things have just gotten so bad in Vegas with this Raiders team. Get Waller the ball. Open his game up. You have running backs that are actually stout. They, I don't know where this went, but the Vegas Raiders, are heading quickly to that red sand out there in the valley. 
Yeah, I think you're right, Ty. I think you're definitely right. Waller, we know from a talent standpoint, is easily one of the best tight ends in the league. He's been hit or miss. He's had some big weeks, but then he tends to disappear in this offense. There's really not any reason for it. He should be your go-to guy, especially after Henry Ruggs is lost for the season with that tragic incident. He should be even more of a focal point in this offense, but he tends to disappear. I think you hit that spot on there, Ty. The last game here on Thanksgiving, the Buffalo Bills, who we talked about earlier, and the New Orleans Saints. The Bills come in at 6-4. and four. The Saints are 5-5. Five and five. I think this is an important game for both teams. Definitely for the Buffalo Bills. If the Bills want to hang on to the AFC East, they cannot lose this game. The Saints can save their season by pulling this win off, but it's tough when they really don't have the strong quarterback that they wanted in Jameis Winston. They have to go with the guys that are in the next man up mentality. I favor the Bills to win this game. If the Bills lose this game, I start looking at the coaching staff. I start looking at Josh Allen. All the people that I need to point my finger at are in a game that they must win. It doesn't matter where this game is being played at. There's no more excuses to be sold. I don't care how many years he's played in the league. They have to win now, especially while the end of November is here and December is approaching. I'm going Buffalo. Ty, I think I'm with you. I think I'm leaning that way, too, because you're right. This is a team that's going to come in really desperate. And when you look at it from a betting standpoint, the Bills are 1-3-1 and against the spread in their last five road games, which doesn't look great on paper. The Saints are coming off a shocking blowout loss to Philly, a game that I didn't see coming for sure. And they've lost three straight here. They're really reeling right now as well. The Saints offense hasn't been the same since they lost Winston. You touched on that. He tore his ACL, and it just seems like they can't get any traction now. Alvin Kamara, he's banged up. This is a bounce-back spot for the Bills. I think they play well. If you look at what they've done, this is a team that tends to play well indoors, which is kind of weird when you think about a team from Buffalo. You'd think they'd be built for the outdoors and built for the snow and the cold weather, but they're really not. They're a team that's built on speed and getting the ball to their big play wide receivers, and they tend to show that when they're on turf. So I like this matchup from that standpoint, but really it's Josh Allen versus Trevor Simeon, and that's just a big, big quarterback mismatch if the bills didn't look so bad last week i think we'd be looking at this line a lot bigger i think the bills would be a seven point maybe a six and a half point favorite in this game if that were the case but i think it actually gives us value here at bills minus four and a half at better edge and the over under is 46 and a half right now I think that that is good value considering because they are coming off that big loss and people are kind of down on them. And it's, it, I think that makes it a strong bet to lay the four and a half because I think the Bills know it just like you touched on, Ty. They're in danger of really falling behind the Patriots, really falling in the playoff standings here, could really slide here if they don't get it on track. And I expect a really good effort from them. I expect them to come out really motivated and fired up for this one on Thanksgiving. I mean, we'll see. Again, like I said, I'm not used to seeing Josh Allen fall this far off a cliff. He's threatening to become a 500 quarterback at this point in time. They lose this game. They are blood in the water for Sharp. Uh, they lose to the Saints. I mean, the Saints saved their season. Going 6-5, and five, uh, they can still threaten to be a wild card. But um, right now, the Bills got to at least keep pace with the Patriots that they let catch up because they're losing games that they should not be losing blood in the water you could be right i love that i love that take but i want to shift gears here to college football 
kind of look at this college football playoff. It's starting to take shape here after Oregon lost badly to Utah on the road. They fall out of the college football playoff rankings. The Ducks came out flat versus a Utah team that was really fired up, flying around the field. Some of the worst play calling I've seen from Oregon all year. They got down early in this game. They were forced to throw, and that's really not what Oregon does well this year. Hats off to Utah, especially their defense led by Devin Lloyd, who might be the best all-around linebacker in the country. He's a future first-round draft pick. The rankings should be pretty straightforward. Georgia at one, Ohio State at two, Alabama at three, and Cincinnati is going to get their shot with this opening at number four. This is an interesting thing on watching how these teams just shifted so much, and I'm glad that Cincinnati is getting their just due at this point in time. Uh, the Ohio State situation, I feel like the committee just jumped the gun way too fast. They beat a Michigan State team who clearly didn't want to give Kenneth Walker the fourth the ball. Why would you go away from the run where the run sets up the pass? It's clearly baffling to me. But if you want to see it this way and have an Ohio State-Alabama game paired up with more than likely, it's all based upon how this SEC championship game goes. It's going to be very interesting at the end of the day, especially with Cincinnati if they continue to win out and watch one of them lose, then it might be Cincinnati versus Ohio State, the Battle of Ohio. So I want to see how this really pans out. Believe me, I think that this could shake up tremendously. And oh, yes, do not forget the Ohio State-Michigan game is coming up. Michigan has to win this game. If not, this can no longer be considered a robbery. Ty, it's some strong takes, man. There's some strong takes there for sure. When you look back at what happened this weekend, this past weekend, I should say, Georgia, they beat up an FCS team, so they just handled business like we expected. Cincinnati beat unranked SMU. They looked good for the first time in weeks. Alabama, though, had another closer-than-expected win over Arkansas, who's a good team. They're ranked in the top 25, but I certainly think people were expecting a more lopsided victory. They've been playing in a lot more closer games than I think most of us expected coming into the year. But you touched on Ohio State. They made a statement absolutely destroying Michigan State, 56-7. to I think you're right about Kenneth Walker as far as not getting the ball, but I really don't think it's his fault or the team's fault. They got down big so fast. I mean, a blink of an eye, and they were down multiple touchdowns, and it really took away from Michigan State's game plan. They're not able to run the ball when you're down two, three scores in the first few minutes of a game. I think it just got them down early fast. They were just were never ever to recover and get any type of traction going in that game. You look at the rest of the college football landscape. I don't think Notre Dame, the ACC or the Big 12 really have any real chance of getting into the college football playoff at this point. Now, the question becomes for me. Can Alabama lose in the SEC title game to Georgia and still get in the playoff with two losses? Uh, depending on how the committee's feeling, I think that they may end up being ousted out of that top four or six if they were to lose to Georgia. Uh, I think this is a big game for Georgia to not only knock off Alabama, but to finally get past the wicked witch of the, the South, if you will. Their work is cut out for them. Bryce Young, this is his first season starting. Um, he's going to have to go up there and do it up against a quality defense that everybody's been raving about. If he can get this done, then it makes it an interesting standpoint for what Georgia has to face if they lose so late in the season. So I'm waiting on seeing if uh, Georgia loses this game and uh, Alabama goes to first place after beating them. So that's 
the other side of the coin that people aren't paying attention to. Yeah, that's interesting, Ty. I think it's certainly possible. We know how good Nick Saban is. We know how good this Alabama team is. But like I said, they haven't looked quite like the Alabama we've seen the last couple of years. Now, they're still a very good football team. I think they have all the pieces in place and clearly the coach in place that they could win this whole thing and it wouldn't surprise me. And I think because of their pedigree, because of their history of success, I actually think if they make it to the title game and lose to Georgia, I think they still get in the playoff. And I think that's going to sour some people, some other teams around the country with one loss that are going to be upset by that. But I think they've earned that right, so to speak with how good they've been and how capable of a team they are. But I think they do get in. But if they beat Georgia, they're both getting in. I mean, let's face it. That's going to be the way it plays out, certainly. But we're getting towards the end. It'll be fascinating to see how this all shakes out. But, yeah, Cincinnati, who I know you've been touting and and pulling for these last several weeks, it looks like right now if they win out, and they certainly should, that they're going to get their chance. So we'll see if they're the real deal or not or if they get exposed by these big boys in college football. But I want to put a bow on week 12 in college football tie and give out our helmet stickers. Who gets your helmet sticker this week? We had a lot of interesting games in college football, but I I have to go with Stroud, the quarterback out of Ohio State, for the electric start that they put up, uh, putting up 40-some-odd points in the first half and cruising to a bruising up against Michigan State. I have to give them a, a ton of credit. Uh, they made Michigan State secondary look like they weren't even playing football at all. And I know Michigan State secondary struggled this season, but it, it clearly was shown outright. They've been exposed. And if you want to beat Michigan State, throw the ball. I'm going with C.J. Stroud. Ty, you're right about C.J. Stroud. That was absolutely incredible, the show he put on. Six touchdowns, no picks. He was unbelievable versus the number seven team in the country. I think he put himself on top of that Heisman race with that performance. And most of that yardage and touchdowns came in the first half because they blew the doors off him so early in that game. I'm going to stick in the Big Ten for my helmet sticker here, Ty, and go with Purdue wide receiver Milton Wright. This kid had himself a game with eight receptions, 213 yards, and three touchdowns. He averaged 26.6 yards per catch. Man, you want to talk about a guy having a big-time game catching the ball. Milton Wright of the Boilermakers gets the Week 12 helmet sticker for me. But I told you guys I was going to mix it up this week with the power rankings. I'm going to look at the 10 worst teams in the NFL. The Thanksgiving Day slate with a lot of stinkers on the schedule got me thinking about the bottom of the league. I thought we'd show some of these teams a little love or maybe a little hate, I should say, depending on how you look at it and break it down for you guys. At number 23, I've got the Miami Dolphins. Even after three straight wins, they're four and seven. The biggest question mark for me is Tua, the future. He's played better the last few weeks. This team clearly wanted Deshaun Watson. We know that. So he's got a lot to play for in these next six weeks. It'll be fascinating to see how that storyline plays out. At number 24, the Washington football team. Now, they've won back-to-back games with a win over Carolina where Taylor Heineke actually outplayed Cam Newton in that game. Don't think he's the future for them. I think passing on some good young quarterbacks these last few drafts are going to really come back to haunt them because I'm not sure he's the guy. I really don't think he is. He's played some nice football, like I said, but 
they're going to have to address that position if they want to build something in Washington. At 25, the New York Giants. The Bucks' loss on Monday Night Football felt like a knockout punch for this team. Offensive coordinator is gone, like we talked about. GM Dave Gettleman, he should be next. He's the guy that I think they need to get rid of. They desperately needed an offensive lineman and a pass rush to help this team in the offseason. And they passed on Rashawn Slater and Micah Parsons in the draft. And these guys are already stars in the NFL. And I think it's really making Dave Gettleman look bad at this point. At number 26, the Atlanta Falcons. This team is a mess. Zero points on Thursday night football versus the Patriots. This team is near the bottom of the NFL on offense and defense with holes all over the roster. I really have no idea, Ty, how they've even won four games this year. At number 27, the Seattle Seahawks, another team that's been a huge disappointment. This franchise has a big decision to make at head coach and quarterback. There are rumblings that Russell Wilson wants out. Pete Carroll is starting to look like the game has gotten away from him. They've missed on so many draft picks in the past few years. This roster is really starting to look bare, and I am not going to be surprised at all if Russell Wilson either moves on or if they have to move off of Pete Carroll to try to keep their quarterback happy. And number 28, the Chicago Bears. We talked about them on this episode, but you look at GM Ryan Pace and head coach Matt Nagy. These guys are all but done in Chicago. I don't think there's any chance they come back next season. Five straight losses going into Thanksgiving. Holes all over this roster. It's time to clean house and try to build around Justin Fields for next year. At number 29, the Houston Texans. They had a shocking win over the Titans. We talked about it. But that win is like a spray of Febreze in a room that stinks. Yeah, it helps a little, but it's really not what this team needs. Credit to this team for playing hard, though, and not quitting on their head coach, David Coley. you got to give them props for that. They've been in some games. They've got to add pieces to this roster. We've talked about the ripple effect of Bill O'Brien and what it's done to this roster. It's really time to add some talent if they're going to build this thing back up. At number 30, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, so much for the progress that they were making on offense because this offense is absolutely terrible. I said this offseason, I love Trevor Lawrence, but I hated the Urban Meyer head coaching hire. And until they get a real NFL coach and a real GM, Lawrence will be limited by this dysfunctional franchise, and it's really tragic. At number 31, the New York Jets. It's a new season, a new head coach in the same old Jets, unfortunately, in New York. I'm not high on Zach Wilson, but when he's healthy, you got to play him and start looking to build around him. This guy has a good arm. He's got talent. He hasn't played very well when he has started, but you've got to give this kid time and you've got to put some pieces around him. I think that this season has been a big disappointment for them. I think Jets fans, with some of the moves they've made, some of the draft picks they've had, I think they expected more from this team, and they've been really pretty bad. They've had a couple shocking wins, but they just haven't been competitive week in and week out. And at number 32, the Detroit Lions, 
the only good thing I can really say is that they play hard for Dan Campbell. I will give them a lot of credit for that. A team that doesn't have a win and they come out and it seems like they give it their all every week. They've been in a good amount of these games. Now, I think they're going to regret not taking Justin Fields or Mac Jones in the draft, especially because next year's rookie quarterback group looks really weak. I think that could come back to bite them. A team that still has a lot to do as far as rebuilding. It's time for the pick six presented by Better Edge. Why don't you kick this thing off, Ty? Who do you got with your first pick of the pick six this week? The first one I have is a nail biter. I'm going with Oregon to win at home up against Oregon State for the battle. In-state, Pac-12, everything, it's a seven-point spread. If Oregon can't pull this off after a questionable showing last week, Oregon State actually had an interesting win their last game. I don't think they have enough to deal with Oregon while they're trying to fight to get back into the top ten. Yeah, laying the seven at home. The Ducks, like we talked about, they're out of the college football playoff mix, but they still have a lot to play for as far as getting to the Pac-12 title game and trying to get to a New Year's Six Bowl. So there's certainly still a lot of motivation for this team to come out and finish strong. And I'm with you, Ty. I think at home, this is a team that hasn't lost at home all year. I don't expect them to in this one. And I think this is a game where they're going to be motivated to bounce back after that bad showing that you talked about. I'm going to stick in the Pac-12 tie with my first pick and take Washington State. And I'm going to lay the one point versus Washington. It's a Friday night Apple Cup rivalry game in the Northwest. Washington is a train wreck right now, losing three straight going into this game. While Washington State is playing better down the stretch, the Cougars are 7-4 and four against the spread, and the Huskies are just 3-8 and eight against the spread this year. Washington State is averaging almost 28 points per game. They're the better passing team. They're the better rushing team in this game. And Washington isn't bowl eligible, even with a win in this game. So Washington State can only improve their bowl selection with a win. The, the Cougars have a better team and a lot more to play for in this one. So I've got Washington State. Uh, the next game I have is Texas to try and close out this season with a win going up against Kansas State, giving three at home. They have to bounce back. If they lose this game, I don't know where Sarkeesian goes. Um, this this cannot save his season if he doesn't come out with an impressive win up against Kansas State. And I know I'm out there on a limb by myself. Sarkeesian has to do something. There's too many people that want to see this team turn around. And the way that he's been coaching, um, I don't see any turnaround in the near future. Ty, you're going to have to scoot over on that limb because you're going to have to make some room for me because I'm with you. I really haven't bought into what I've seen from Sarkeesian. We talked about it recently on the podcast. I think he's a guy who's a good offensive coordinator. He can make an offense better. He can drop a nice play. But there's a big difference between offensive coordinator and head coach, and I just don't think he's the guy for this job. It feels like the spotlight is too bright when he puts that head coaching hat on. I will say Kansas State has been playing some better football, though, and I'm a little surprised that Texas is actually favored in this matchup. Maybe Vegas knows something I don't, but they are at home, and that certainly helps. My next pick, Ty, I'm going to take the New York Giants plus three and a half versus the Philadelphia Eagles. 
getting over a field goal at home is kind of the key here versus an Eagles team that comes in really riding high and the Giants just got embarrassed on Monday night football, fired their offensive coordinator like we talked about. Saquon Barkley should be more involved in this game plan now in his second week back from injury. It feels like a letdown spot for the Eagles and a bounce back spot for New York. Usually when you see a team get embarrassed like that, especially in prime time, they come out with a pretty good effort and the offensive coordinator getting fired I think is going to have these guys motivated so give me three and a half for the home dog the last game that I have is the Washington football team pulling this off at home up against the Seahawks is virtually a pick them they're giving the Seahawks a point Washington actually played an interesting game this past Sunday up against the Panthers and giving a good homecoming for Ron Rivera and stopping the madness of Cam going on for the past couple of games I think this is a game that they should be able to win. While I can't really see any interest outside of Russell Wilson playing strong ball, DK Metcalf fell asleep. Tyler Lockett is the only impressive guy that could do something. If he doesn't have a step on a lot of these guys, it's curtains uh, for that offense. So I'm going with the football team to pull this off. A happy Thanksgiving out there to you and yours. Ty, I like it. I like it. It's two teams that feel like they're headed in opposite directions. And happy Thanksgiving to you as well, bro. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope everybody out there, PGF Nation, I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving as well. I'm going to wrap it up here with the last pick of the pick six with the Denver Broncos plus two and a half versus the Chargers. Once again, I'm going to take a home dog here versus the Chargers team coming off of a big primetime win. This is a divisional game, and those divisional games you got to watch for because usually they're closer than people think. And when you look at Teddy Bridgewater, he's a guy who really tends to cover as a home underdog. He's really good in those spots, and it's a matchup in this game that I think is key because Denver is a team that can run the ball, They like to run the ball and establish that line of scrimmage. And that's somewhere where the Chargers really struggle is stopping the run. So give me the Broncos and the points. If you enjoy the pick six betting segment, be sure to follow me on betteredge.com at Brad Fowler PGF, where I give out additional NFL and college football picks. That is going to do it for the pick six. And it's also going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.